Good morning. It's great to see everybody here this morning. It's great to have the sunshine two days in a row. Well, my heart was to preach on what Lanson read for us this morning of Mary's rejoicing over what God has done. But in my preparation, God turned my heart to a different passage. So this morning we're going to look at the preparation. A preparation for the Savior. And is that not what this time of Christmas is about? Preparing our hearts to worship. As we look, we're going to look and we're going to sit in Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 17 this morning. But before we get there, I want to talk about something. So this morning, here we are on Sunday, and Wednesday's up and coming. Wednesday being the day of Christmas. We have just a few more sleeps before we get to Christmas Day. How many people are preparing, but for a different reason? People are preparing parties, family get-togethers, times of celebration, lots of gifts, giving of gifts, and getting of gifts. A lot of people are preparing, but not for a Savior. A lot of people are preparing, but not for the Lord who was born for them that day 2,000 years ago. So I want to take time this morning to look at how did God prepare for the coming of Christmas? How did God prepare the people of Israel, the people of the world, and specifically Zacharias? And why was that important? Why is it important to look at the birth of another child instead of the birth of Christ as we prepare for Christmas? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's what we're going to look at. And Lord willing, he'll be glorified through it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the blessing of being able to gather in your house together as the family of Christ. Father, we thank you for the richness of your word. Father, I just pray that as I preach this morning that you would be glorified and honored, that your word would come forth with clarity, with wisdom, for wisdom comes only from you. Father, we just ask your blessing upon this time, and we give you the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Preparation must start in our hearts and grow in our families. Think on that as we go through this passage. Preparation must start in our hearts and grow in our families. Luke chapter 1. We're going to read through it and then we're going to start unpacking what we have here. Luke 1 verse 8. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, He was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will not drink wine nor liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many away, or turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him 
in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Our first point this morning, and we're going to focus on verses 8 through 12, is God's preparation of man. God took time to prepare the heart of man for what was coming. And as we see here, Luke starts off right here in verse 8, and he says, now it happened. And then he pauses, and he gets into some detail about what was actually happening before he gets to what happened. And it's interesting that he takes this time to divert from what he's going to say of what happened to Zacharias to what was Zacharias doing? What were the people doing? What preparations was God putting in place? He's giving us God's handiwork that's going on behind the scenes. So he says here in verse 8, And now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division. Now, back in the reign of King David, David took the Levitical priests and he separated them into 24 divisions to go and to serve in the house of the Lord. Each year, they would come in their divisions out of the 24. They would come for a week each year, or two weeks each year. They'd serve for a week from Sabbath to Sabbath in the house of the Lord. And it says here that as Zacharias was coming to perform his service, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple and to burn incense before the Lord. Now, to be able to be chosen was, one, to be chosen by lot, but two, it was a very slim chance that you were chosen in your lifetime to go and to burn incense before the Lord. And if you were, you had one opportunity to do it. If you burned incense before the Lord, you were never allowed to receive that lot again, according to the priestly order. But Solomon kept the divisions together. And yet we know from the deportation when they went to Babylon, when they came back, only two of those divisions came back. And of those two divisions, they were once again separated into 24. Once in a lifetime. And here we see the lot fell to Zacharias. Proverbs 16.33 says, And a lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Once again, we see God orchestrating in his sovereignty the plans that he has set in place. For Zacharias coming and serving his week in the temple, it was at this time that God chose for the lot to fall to him. Why? As we'll see later, because God had an appointed plan. God had a time appointed for Zacharias. It was a privilege and an honor to burn incense before the Lord. It was the part in the liturgy that was the most solemn part. So when a priest was given this honor, he would go in with two other people. One of the other priests would come in bearing coals from the altar that was for the offering, the burnt offering, for coals for the incense offering. The other would come in bearing the incense, and he would set it about the altar, and then they would leave. And then there would be a short time of prayer where Zacharias would pray before the Lord and pray for the peace and the blessing of Israel. And then at a signal, a signal would be given and Zacharias would sprinkle the incense upon the altar, upon the hot coals, and that fragrance would go up before the Lord and that prayer would continue. And then he would go out to the east gate and he would pray the ironic blessing upon the people of Israel. And so this would happen twice a day, in the morning and in the afternoon. 
So in this setting, this is what we see. The golden altar of incense was right next to the Holy of Holies. It was used on the Day of Atonement. God prepared the situation. God prepared the man, Zacharias. And God prepared the situation that was to, come, to unfold before us. For we'll find out that it was Elizabeth and Zacharias who was barren and without child. But verse 6 also tells us that they were advanced in age. Verse 7. Have we not heard of a couple who is barren without child in great age? We have. So we will see that God prepares the man and the situation. In verse 10, it says, And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. This is the only gospel that opens with a multitude of people in prayer. It's a beautiful picture. They were outside the holy place, but they were inside the walls of the court. They had the men's court, the women's court, the priest's court, and everybody was prostrate before the Lord with their arms outstretched, praying for the peace and the blessing of Israel. And it's in this setting that God chooses to deliver a divine revelation. God chooses to reveal his plan for Israel and for the world. So making this application for ourselves, how does that apply to us? Well, we look at, there was preparation during this time of worship, but before. The priests had to prepare themselves to come and to serve. What do we do on our Saturday evenings? How do we prepare to come and be in the house of the Lord together? Do we take time to prepare our hearts and prepare our minds to come and to meet our God? Do we take time Sunday mornings instead of just scurrying around, being busy with getting ready and trying to get everybody out the door? Do we take time to thank God, to come and to worship and to be grateful for the opportunity that we have? We have a freedom that is unlike many countries in this world to gather together and to worship our God. And he says to worship him in the splendor of holiness. Do we prepare our hearts? For God is in the business of preparing the hearts of people to meet him and to accomplish his purposes. Verses 11 and 12 tells us that Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, that fear gripped him. But before that, in verse 11, it says that the Lord, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar. And that was significant, for the right side was the blessed side. The right side was the side of favor. And we see that when we hear that Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. It was a side of blessing, a side of favor a side of acceptance. And we know later from Luke that it was the angel Gabriel who is once again sent to deliver good news. So in the midst of this great prayer of the people of Israel, in the midst of worship and liturgy, God reveals his message. God sometimes puts us in those hard and fearful places. Why? So that we reach out to him. That we find our emptiness, we find our weakness. We find that we cannot do it in our own strength, and we cry out. He put Zacharias in a fearful situation. Not only had none of his contemporaries ever said, hey, when you go in there, be careful, there may be an angel standing there. No, that didn't happen before. Zacharias was in a situation all new. And not only that, but to see a beautiful, brilliant, holy angel standing before him. What did Zacharias feel? He felt his weakness, his sinfulness, and it was terrifying. It is terrifying to be in the presence of holiness. And yet it is in this that God prepared Zacharias to receive first his strength. 
We know later on, as we'll get to, the angel said, do not fear. God delivers his strength. God had a time to deliver his instruction. He prepared Zacharias for that. Joy and blessing. The long-awaited fulfillment of the promised Messiah. But also an answer to years and years of prayer, as we will see. That leads us to our second point. is not only did God prepare man, but God's prepared work is revealed. Verses 13 through 15. It says this, But the angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, for he will drink no wine nor liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. This is a continuation of the last verse. We see that God has already prepared comfort and strength for Zacharias. We see the words, do not fear. You know what's interesting? It's the number one commandment given in Scripture, and it's given 365 times. Can you guys think of a reason 365 is significant? One for every day of the year, right? Why? Because we are a fearful people. We are a weak people. And God in his wisdom every day tells you, do not fear. For in fear, we lack faith. Faith in who God is. Faith in what he can do and that he has promised to carry out everything that he has promised to do. It is in love and faith that drives out fear. One day, for every day of the year, God says, do not fear. Take heart. What did Jesus say? Take heart. I have already overcome the world. So, is it not also telling us not only to not have fear, but to take faith, to take heart in the faithfulness of God, for that he who is promised will bring it to pass. Even in this unique situation that Zacharias has found himself in with an angel appearing before, appearing before him by the side of the altar, has this not already happened before with any of his contemporaries? No, it hasn't. But God says, do not fear. Even in the moments that you find yourself in that are unique, in the moments that you find yourself in a unique fear, because it's nothing that is normal, it's outside of the normal everyday life, yet do not fear. Then God moves on, and through the angel he says, he will give him great blessing. How? With joy and gladness. Why? Because of his petition was answered. And what petition was that? We have first, Zacharias is in the temple praying for the peace and blessing of Israel. Yes. That is fulfilled also in the coming of John and the coming of Christ. But the angel says, for your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. How many times has Zacharias and Elizabeth cried out to God over and over for the blessing of the fruit of the womb? In their culture, it was shameful to be barren. And we know through many other women, we know through Hannah, She was tormented over and over by Penina, the other wife of Elkanah. And she became what? The mother of Samuel. And she gave her child as blessed unto the Lord. We know that Abraham and Sarah cried out to the Lord. And what did God do? He waited until they were old. He waited until they were completely and utterly hopeless that they would ever have a child. And he said, no, my promise holds true. And he blessed them with a child of blessing. And once again, God takes a barren couple 
who are aged and says, no, you will be blessed. Not only blessed with a child, but blessed with a son. Once again, we see the prediction of the, of the sex of the child. It will be a male child. Not only that, you shall call his name John. There is a command there. A time for obedience. John means grace of Jehovah. And John was filled with the grace of God. So a miraculous wonder was being performed once again for a specific purpose. And it's the blessing, not only of the people of God, of Israel, but of all the world. Shame of a barren womb will turn to great joy and great blessing. Not just for Zacharias and not just for Elizabeth, but for the world. For it says many will rejoice at his coming. So a second, that was the second instruction given to Zacharias. Once again, we see that his action must come from obedience. He must obey and name his son John, for he's been commanded to. He's been commanded not to fear. His actions must be rooted in faith. And as we live out lives of good works, they have to come through faith. For without faith, no one can please God. Without faith, we're without hope. For it is impossible to please God without it. Now comes the richness of God's blessings as he moves ahead. Not only are they going to have a son, but she can have a son without fear of complications in her old age. For the angel said, you shall have a son. There's not a a guess of, ooh, I'm really old. Am I going to be able to bear the labor to come? There was a lot of complications. But they had faith because God spoke and it would be so. He would be born unto them. He would bring them great joy and great blessing by being able to have a fruit of the womb finally, to be able to have a son to love and to rejoice over. But many would rejoice at his birth, not just the day of his birth, as we see in verse 58. And it says, Her neighbors and her relatives, speaking of Elizabeth, heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. But in the context of the blessing and the messianic promise here in this chapter, many would rejoice because John the Baptist would be a blessing to many as the forerunner of the Messiah, the forerunner of the Christ child who was to come. He would prepare the way before the Lord. In verse 15, he would be great in the sight of God. What does that look like? Jesus said of John the Baptist in Matthew eleven eleven, Truly I say to you, among those born of a woman... There has not been one arisen, anyone greater than John the Baptist. How do we see that? First, he would be separated unto the Lord. He would taste no wine, which was made from grapes, nor liquor, which was made from grain. John would be set apart. We know later in his life, he was set apart quite physically as he spent time in the desert, preparing for the time where he was to come upon the scene and to herald the Son of God. John one twenty nine. And John the Baptist says, the next day when he saw Jesus coming to him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. He was the Messiah's herald. He was the mouthpiece of what was to come. He was the one that was crying out for repentance. He was true and faithful to the message of Christ and the repentance of the heart at all costs. John did not back down. John was bold. John was faithful. He called for repentance and true conversion. He was faithful to the message of the Christ child. And as a true herald, he must give way in humility. For the one that he heralds, he has to pull to the background. 
so that the one that he heralds can come forth. And what did John say in John 3.30? He must increase, I must decrease. It is always the heart that Christ would be seen, that Christ would be known and understood. And this is the message that John brought with a heart of humility. That is our heart. That is to be our heart, that others would see Christ and less of us. That others would hear the message of the coming of Christ, the call for repentance. This was given to John, and this was the blessing his parents would hear. John was, says here that he would be filled with the Spirit of the Lord, even in the womb. This does not mean salvation prior to belief and understanding. It means that God was working even in the womb to prepare John for the work that he had for him to do as a message of the coming Messiah. He was the forerunner of Christ, and he would fulfill that mission through the power of the Spirit of God. Just as we live each and every day by faith and by the power of the Spirit, remembering why we're here. It moves us to our third point and our final point, Dad, for you, since I know you don't like long sermons. In verses 16 and 17, we're going to look at the result of God's preparation. So we see that Zacharias was prepared in his priestly order. We see that he came in to serve incense before the Lord, to offer prayers for the peace and the blessing of Israel. And we see it unfolding that as God has prepared that, that God will fulfill it and he will bring ultimate peace to Israel and ultimate blessing. He will turn back, as it says here in verse 16, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. We're going to stop on verse 16. It's important because it says that he will turn back. So it already shows us that many of the sons of Israel have turned away from the Lord. That many of the sons of Israel have lived in foolish pride, in ignorance, in defiance to a holy God. As they've been brought back out of captivity and back to the promised land, they have once again turned their hearts to pagan idols. They have once again turned their hearts to speak against the Lord their God and not fulfill the command to love the Lord their God with all their heart, all their mind, all their soul, and all their strength. And it is also parents, as we'll see in verse 17, that have failed to show their children the love of God and to teach them when they arise, when they sit down, when they walk by the way. It is in this time that the Lord has called John to come to turn the hearts back to the Lord. And that is a great blessing. At the end of verse 16, it says, back to the Lord their God. They are still his children. God does not say, well, if they come back, then I guess maybe they can be mine again. No, they are still the children of God. God still has those out there prepared for him to come to him to surrender self, to surrender pride, and in humble obedience, call for repentance of heart and mind and come back to Christ. For God has given those that are his to his son. And we know that from Jesus' words, he has not lost one. There are many out there that still have not heard the wonderful news of the gospel. This is the Christmas message. Christ has come. And Christ will come again. Not only at the Christmas season, but all the year through, we have a bountiful harvest set before us. People have been being prepared by God to receive Christ. That is the message of Christmas. That there is a bountiful harvest. Jesus said in Matthew 9, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Why? Because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. 
Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. That is the message of Christmas. We have all been blessed in Christ. If we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've been blessed with the spirit of Christ, a spirit of boldness to go out and proclaim the gospel to all people in all nations. John the Baptist was not the only one. He was not the only forerunner of Christ. We have all been given the message of God and of Christ and of the Savior of Christmas to spread that news to those who have not heard it, to those who need Christ, to those who are still his children. Moving on to verse 17. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The spirit and power of Elijah, this was prophesied in the book of Malachi, which is a beautiful text. If you haven't spent much time there, I'd encourage you to do so. It was written to the Levitical priests, which is interesting that both the John's parents were also of the line of Aaron and the line of Levi. They were priests. But written in there in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, God says this, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his own temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And in chapter 4, verse 5 and 6 in Malachi, he says, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. For he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. This is not only prophetical of John the Baptist, but also of a time yet to come. For it was prophesied that one would come to prepare the harvest of the Lord. Why? The reason was given in Malachi, so that God would not come and curse the land once again, but that his wrath may pass over Once again, once again, we see the beautiful picture of Passover, Christ's coming, that God's wrath would not set upon man, but that he would pass over the sins of many. This is Christmas. This is the reason why we celebrate. Not only do we celebrate, but we are called to remember. Each year we come into the Christmas season, we are to remember why Christ came, that he came, and that he came for a specific purpose to save and to seek the lost and to bring salvation and peace to man, to bring reconciliation between man and God. For there is no other greater truth to know and to refresh ourselves in than the truth of Christmas. And it is this message of God's love and power that we've been entrusted with. G. Coleman Luck spoke of this verse and he says, And John the Baptist's preaching would turn the hearts of careless parents to a real spiritual concern for their children. Also, he would bring back the hearts of disobedient men and rebellious children to the wisdom of the just. So the result of God's preparation is a people prepared to meet the Savior. This is the theme of Christmas. This is the theme of the Bible. This was also the theme of the Apostle Paul. In Ephesians 6 and verse 15, he told us to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is our calling. In Ephesians six eighteen and 20, Paul says once again, with all prayer and petitions, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all of the saints. 
and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. This is for us too. If you are a child of Christ, this is your burden as well. Each and every one of us is to proclaim the mystery of the gospel to those who do not know it. To encourage our children to live in wisdom and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So, let me ask you a question. Who did God use to prepare your heart to meet the Savior? All of us have a story. Every one of us who is a child of Christ has a story. God used somebody or multiple people in your life to prepare your heart to receive the Savior. What are you doing with that? Are you being faithful to deliver this message of Christ's love to others? Are you allowing God and the spirit of his wisdom to prepare the hearts of others to receive Christ? Are you going forth faithfully, preparing, sowing, and reaping in the bountiful harvest of the Lord? Remember, preparation must start in our hearts and in our families and grow outside of our families to those around us. When this happens and we continue to be a faithful people of prayer, set apart for the work of the Lord, it is in this that God continues to work and produce the results of salvation. And that is the reason we remember Christmas each year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for the blessing of the coming Messiah. We thank you that not only can we look back and reflect that he came and he accomplished exactly what you sent him for, but Father, we can look with anticipation to the second advent, not as another coming as a baby, but as a coming of the warrior who has conquered, as the coming king of righteousness and truth. Father, may we, our hearts be prepared for that coming, and may we be faithful to bring the message of Christmas to others that they may be prepared as well. Father, may we be faithful to Christ, for he has always been faithful to us. And Lord, we give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.